Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, the 2021 Vice President of Finance for the Metro DC chapter of ATD. And I'm Christina Eanes, the 2021 Director of Virtual Programs. And I'm Leticia Nyago, Vice President of Learning. We also have Helena Hodges, our Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing an industry-leading expert on accessible learning design with over 30 years of L&D experience, a passionate advocate for digital accessibility, and the author of Designing Accessible Learning Content, a practical guide to applying best practice accessibility standards to L&D resources, Susie Miller. Welcome, Susie. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled you're here. This is such an important topic, and it's one that I think in talent development and learning, we are really hearing more and more about. Before we jump in, though, we would love to learn a little bit more about you. So we'd love it if you'd share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Okay, so my background really is um, for a long time I've been um, teaching and, and training. Um, I've been an instructional designer probably for about 10 years now, and um, I've basically worked a lot in the public sector in the UK, um, also um, in the private sector and in the third sector. I am also an e-learning accessibility consultant and also the founder and director of my own company, which is called Ella Hub, where I specialize in e-learning accessibility. And as you very kindly mentioned, I've recently um, written a book called Designing Accessible Learning Content. That's fantastic. And we're very excited to learn more about that. Although before we get started, I think before we can even have a conversation about accessibility, we'd love to hear from you. What is digital accessibility? Basically, what accessibility means um, in the kind of digital context, and it's a really good question because one of the things that I find is that a lot of people kind of misunderstand when you talk about accessibility. So they quite often think that you're talking about things that you can access easily or, or that are easy to understand. Sure. A really good definition of, of accessibility that, that I tend to use, it, it basically means that people with disabilities, um, they can equally perceive, they can understand they can navigate and they can interact with content. And it also means that they can contribute equally without barriers. So that's a definition that, that I've I kind of learned as I've been going along. And, and for me, that really sums up. It's from the Worldwide Web Consortium, W3C, and it's, it's a great summary of what actually we mean by, by making things um, accessible for people. I really love the words that you use there, too. It's really about equality and equity as far as access to content. Yeah. And I think that really kind of leads into my next question. And it may seem like an obvious one, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. For TD professionals, for those of us who are listening today, why is it important to understand digital accessibility? For me, it's at the heart of what we do. We're, we're so, so many of us are, are really passionate about making sure that our learning content is interactive. It's, um, you know, really engaging for people. And yet, if we don't make it accessible for um, people who have disabilities, then there's, there's a range of different statistics that people use when they're talking about um, disability statistics. But, you know, the, the kind of accepted range is between about 12 and 26 percent 
of people in the population that will have a disability. So, you know, just by not making things accessible for people with a range of disabilities, what we're doing is is excluding people from the content that, you know, I, I feel that, you know, so many of us are, are really exceptionally gifted and professional people. And it just, if we don't make things accessible, then just by doing that, we're automatically excluding people without, you know, realizing that's what we're doing. Oh, absolutely. And the statistic that you just shared, between 12 and 26% of the population may have some form of a disability that could interfere with how they would interact with a learning program or a training opportunity. I mean, that's that's a pretty staggering number. And I think really what that does is illustrate just how critical it is to keep accessibility in mind as you're thinking about what it looks like to design a program for a larger population. I agree. And I think also, you know, again, coming back to the statistics, I think a lot of people, because so many disabilities are, um, they're they're hidden, you know, there is the kind of perception that people think, oh, you know, you've got nobody with a disability that we need to worry about in in the learning that we're doing for this particular workforce or, or, you know, this particular set of students. But it's that kind of universal, you know, the idea. And also, I think when when you find out a little bit more about accessibility and, and who it actually affects and who it benefits it's kind of again often broadening people's perspective because very often they think that accessibility is really only benefiting people who have visual impairments but if you also bear in mind that it's people who have hearing impairments and also motor impairments so people who don't have the dexterity to use a mouse and also cognitive impairments is a, is a huge covers a huge range of people I think then it begins to sort of click it it's kind of that's the missing piece of the puzzle and people begin to understand just how important it is and just why it affects so many people. And I think that what you've shared not only identifies how important it is and why it's so important, I think it also taps into what can feel a little bit concerning to learning designers as they're thinking about how to present accessible content. It can be very overwhelming to think of the range of people who may be impacted, who may have disabilities that are either visible or not visible, that are identified or not identified, Mm -hmm. but yet they're all equally important to be aware of. So I'm curious, what kind of advice do you typically give to talent development professionals as far as getting comfortable with digital accessibility? Does there tend to be a good place to start as you're learning about it and looking for ways to implement it into training programs that you're working on? Yeah, so I think that's a, that's an excellent question. And I think, you know, t- to be honest, that's the whole reason I ended up um, writing the, my book. Because yeah. when I, I, like very many professionals, when I, when I started out on my journey, I really found it a struggle to find places that would help me as an instructional designer. And quite often, particularly in the case in the UK, the law changed recently in line with, the, with an EU directive, which meant that it was very clear that to make things legally accessible that we needed to meet the web content accessibility guidelines and in our case it was version 2.1 level a and double a now that is you know that's the kind of legal standard and the good thing about the web content accessibility guideline I think when you were saying you know that can be quite challenging thing to have to to think about everybody with different types of disabilities and impairments the good thing about the web content accessibility guideline is that they they're your kind of benchmark and they do cover a wide range 
of different types of disabilities and impairments. So if you follow the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines in, in one way, you've kind of made your life a little bit easier because you know you're following an internationally recognised benchmark standard. Unfortunately, those guidelines are very technically complex and they were written originally, you know, they, they, they've been around for a long time and they were written for web developers who are using HTML content. So a lot of what they're talking about is talking about the coding. So for me, when I started, I felt very alone. I didn't really know where I could go to for help. When I looked at sort of the accessibility, fantastic and amazing community, but it, it was almost like, well, they're, they're very focused on on web development and they're not really looking at it from a learning content point of view so in the end I, I'd spent so long trying to to apply the web content accessibility guidelines and and to make them relevant for learning that I just felt well I wanted to share all of the work that I had done so that other people wouldn't be feeling just as out of depth and, and you know, and lost really from a, from an, an a learning developer point of view as I had really. I'm very much looking forward to taking a look at your book personally. The experience you just described, trying to figure out where to start, is very similar to one that I've had in the last couple of months, actually, trying to understand that. And, you know, the standard that you mentioned, I agree, a wonderful starting place, but very much built for the web. So yeah. trying to identify what components might best work as far as a learning environment or e-learning training, for example, can yeah. be overwhelming. So I'm thrilled to hear that you yourself have a resource that we can benefit <laughs> from because you're right. Uh -huh. There's a lot to learn, a lot to apply, and it can feel like you're you're kind of digging into something that is bigger than what you're able to fully comprehend. So that is wonderful. I'm also curious as far as tips and best practices are concerned. I'm sure you have a good number of those in the book that you've written and also from your own experience. So for our listeners who are sort of where I have been, where you have been trying to make sense of this landscape of information and content that's out there, what are some of the practical tips and best practices that you would recommend on how to design accessible and inclusive learning content? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think um, from my point of view, it's it. I think that the kind of missing piece of the puzzle from when I started was was really understanding um, how people are using assistive technology. So I think a lot of what you need to do to make things accessible don't really, you know, they don't really make sense to you unless you understand how people are using assistive technology. So if you understand, for example, how people use a screen reader, so people with visual impairments will uh, very often use screen readers, but also people with mobility impairments and actually um, with cognitive impairments make use of a screen reader. And if you understand a little bit about assistive technology, and if you can find, obviously, in an ideal world, if you have, you know, the, the, the privilege of working with someone who is using assistive technology or who, who can test for you using assistive technology, for me, that was almost, as I say, as I described it, the missing piece of the puzzle, because it... it everything I could understand why I needed to do things and I think without that it's quite difficult to understand so what I do a lot when I, in the training that I do now is actually um, I use video resources so there are a, a huge number now we're very very lucky to have um, video resources of people showing you how they use their assistive technology so for example you know if you if you do a search for someone using a screen reader that is so 
you know, it's such a great start to be able to understand and see someone using their assistive technology. Things like also screen magnifiers, for example, seeing how people use a screen magnifier. And I think that all makes it begin to make sense to you. You can see, for example, you know, how someone is interacting with captions as well, that how important that can be. So for me, a great starting point to, to, to really make it make sense to me and to, to understand what I needed to do. So that, that was a good starting point. But also, I think for me, is dividing it always into those four categories to make sure that I'm understanding, you know, that I'm not forgetting anybody. So, for example, if you're looking at vision impairments, you can be thinking of a screen reader is very often for, for people um, who are blind. So doing things like putting... Um, alternative text onto images, making sure that everything is in a correct order so that it makes sense for a screen reader. Those are the key things there. Also things like um, quite often people forget about people who are colorblind. So for example, making sure that your instructions that you give are not relying on a color. So for example, if you're showing someone that something they've done is, is wrong by just putting the text in red, that isn't going to make sense for someone who's colorblind. So that, that's for the, for the visual side of things. For the hearing side, things it's really a key is is obviously captions for videos and also um, a, a great one is also to provide transcripts for for videos as well that's really important for um, that could be really helpful for people who have got um, hearing impairments but it's also important as well for people with, with cognitive impairments as well and so so many people will use captions and so many people will also benefit from transcripts then from a motor um, looking at that motor side of things your key thing to be aware of there is keyboard accessibility so making sure that anything that you're doing in your e-learning is going to be accessible for someone who is not able to use a mouse and there's a whole range of assistive technology that people use to access content very often we, we, we focus on a keyboard but it could be a whole range of things it could be voice things could be voice activated or you could have also eye gaze technology etc but making it accessible for a keyboard generally sort of ticks the box for all, all that type of um, assistive technology that means that people can interact with your content and finally we have the whole range of cognitive differences so things like making sure a key a really key thing my sort of the key thing for everybody is making sure that your language, the language that you use is really plain. You know, it's, it's plain English. It's very clear and straightforward because that just benefits everybody. Also, things like um, making sure that your navigation is consistent and, you know, you're not overloading things cognitive load by making your navigation different or changing things so it's just like very clear very straightforward for everybody and as I say the, the language for me is a key thing for everybody to make sure that that, that your you know that your content is inclusive and as accessible for everyone uh, that you can make it. Those are fantastic tips and I especially like your idea about engaging people who might be able to provide key feedback based on their experiences, if and when possible. Mm -hmm. I think getting that firsthand input and having people be able to walk through and let you know where they're encountering challenges can be a really nice and very inclusive way to ensure that any of those disabilities are identified, they're acknowledged, and that there is something in place that can help those people to have the kind of experience that you want them to have. Yeah. So I, I, I love that idea. I think that that's terrific. I'm curious too, and I think this is a really tough one because many people who are listening today are certainly advocates as far as digital accessibility is concerned. Uh -huh. 
Unfortunately, in some workplaces, that may not be seen as a priority. There may be barriers in place. There may be challenges. It may be seen as a nice to have, but not a must have. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or advice on how our listeners might be able to become effective advocates for digital accessibility when they're presented with challenges like that. Yeah, that that is a great question. And I think it's it's certainly something that I think that attitude that, that you were describing, I genuinely think that attitude is beginning to change. I yeah. think I can see a gra- I genuinely since I, since I began, you know, really specializing in in e-learning accessibility, I can see a groundswell of change which which is a wonderful, you know, a wonderful to see. I think um quite often in the past people have often said, you know, they they are frustrated by the lack of of leadership and although I, Again, I can see a, a change beginning to happen in, in that area as well. I think for me, the really exciting thing is just seeing how many more people are beginning to become you know, in, interested and, and, and believe it's the right thing to do. So I would say, you know, the where I think we need to head, uh, you know, we, we need to be as an industry is that is, is learning content is, is accessible as the default. You know, it's not even an issue. It, it, that's just, you know, how it is for everybody. From an advocacy point of view, I think it can depend on who it is that you're talking to. So I suppose over, over the years that I've been uh, been advocating myself, I kind of have a, a sort of a toolkit <laughs> of dependent on who I'm talking to. And I think a key thing that I did in the book that I wanted to make sure that I included was some industry perspectives. So talking to some key industry leaders and from their point of view, showing that actually it is it is no longer possible not to make things accessible. We might be early on in the journey, but if you want, you know, your competitors are actually beginning to wake up to the fact that accessibility is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for t- for you to not only improve your learning content, but also to increase your market share and improve your profit. So obviously, you know, we, we with accessibility, we, we tend to take a step back from wanting it to be about profits. But, you know, in, in, if you're trying to encourage a whole industry to change its perspective, I think that that's a, a good way to, to sort of encourage leaders and again, I think it comes back to this idea that in our professions, we are very dedicated people. We're very professional. We're very good at what we do. And the whole purpose of what we're doing is to try and, you know, to change people to, in a way to make their lives better and to, to see that actually by making things accessible, so improving, you know, people's lives and, and you know, actually giving them the opportunity to succeed. I think it's it's that's where I see the real the real positives. That's where I see so many people becoming more and more involved with it and just thinking actually it's not possible it's just you know it's just against what we're doing to actually exclude people from from what we're trying to produce and to create. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it and to look ahead if you work with an organization that is not quite at the point where building digitally accessible content is the norm. I think You make a great point about how to get this information in front of perhaps stakeholders who might be a little bit more driven by the bottom line. I know in L&D and talent development, that Uh is always part of the conversation. How can you make sure that your stakeholders, your leadership understand any positive impact that it may have on the bottom line or on Uh sales or something? But I love the fact that all of that can guide the conversation toward where I think it needs to be, and from what you shared, 
where we really should be taking this, which is that it's simply a good inclusive practice. It is not about doing something a little bit extra for a population. It is about making sure that the content you produce is accessible, available, and impactful for absolutely everyone, no matter where they happen to be when they come to you to receive that content. So I'm thrilled that that some of the, the takeaways that our listeners will be able to hopefully take back to work with them as they're thinking about making their own training a little bit more accessible as well. Yeah, so I've got also a, a really great quote, actually, that I'd just like to share. And again, this comes yeah. from the book. So it was it was from a an authoring tool provider. And they said that although inclusive design may have been overlooked in the past, it's now so fundamental to the diversity and inclusion agenda of so many organizations that providing learning content, which is not accessible to all learners, is no longer an option. And I think that was for me, you know, when I when I read that, that was the kind of light bulb moment that I thought I really think that things are beginning to change, that people's attitudes are changing and that, you know, it's, it, as I say, it feels sometimes like very early days, but then sometimes you get some hugely encouraging things. So I was involved recently um, in um, a conference. It was um, inclusive and accessible design, um, e-learning design, and there were over a thousand delegates at that. We were expecting about two or three hundred and we had over oh, a thousand wow. people. So, you know, it's things like that that actually... You, I think this is when I'm talking about the groundswell and the and the positivity and and the the real sense of change that I'm beginning to see. Oh, that's wonderful! It's wonderful to know that that kind of a wake up call is truly there, uh-huh. and that people are benefiting from it, and that training can benefit and our learners can benefit too. Definitely. Oh, that's wonderful. Are we that time in the episode? I think we are, Chris. Ooh, okay, Susie, here we go. At the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest five rapid-fire style questions. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? (laughs) I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Give us one book that all talent development professionals must read and why. So I can only really say that it has to be um, designing accessible learning content because um, I think it's a great place to start, whether you need to meet, um, you know, accessibility legal requirements or whether you just want to make your e-learning more accessible and understand more. I mean, it just is, is, is a great place to start and, you know, to, to help you, even if you're feeling completely out of your depth, it, it's just um, got, you know, lots of different things in there that can help you. Excellent. Okay, give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. Okay, so this is called um, Open Broadcaster Software, OBS. And um, why it's it's absolutely sort of transformed what I do is I do a lot of training and I do a lot of um, recording of screen reader, how it interacts with e-learning content. And for a long time, I was every time I had to do that, I was setting up my microphone pushing it against the um, against the speakers and climbing under a, under a duvet to try and make sure that I was recording. <laughs> but this beautiful piece of software just records straight for the, the sound off the desktop. So it's absolutely transformed my life. So it's 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 a wonder. Oh, awesome. I have heard of that. I just didn't know exactly what it was. That's that's neat. <laughs> <laughs> it's great for me. Oh, OK. So what is the best piece of talent development or career related advice you've ever been given? 
say, I have to admit that I was never actually given this advice. It was more um, advice that I, or it was a piece of um, a content that I actually saw on social media. And ah. it, it was a great quote. And it just said uh, this idea that accessibility takes, uh, always takes longer. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of an extra that we need to do. And someone just wrote on social media, accessibility isn't more work. You were just cutting corners before. So your work was incomplete. Ooh. And so for me, that was, again, another a huge light bulb moment. I thought, you know, I've been looking at this wrong all these yeah. years. You know, this is this is the way that I should be looking at it, that actually accessibility isn't an add on. It's something that we should all be doing anyway. Yeah. Nice. OK, what is one thing you're excited about coming up in the next year or so? So I should probably, I think probably most people would be saying this, but for me, it's it's getting back to do face-to-face training. So although I do a lot of online training and, and I do, you know, I, lo- I do enjoy it and it works very well. There's, I think there's nothing like doing face-to-face um, training, particularly in the field that, that, that I work in when you're talking about accessibility. And it's that just seeing people beginning to understand why accessibility is so important and you know how it can really benefit people and it's almost you know how they're 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 making a difference by making things accessible so for me it's that lovely light bulb moment that you see when you're training group of people that you don't quite get when you've got that online um, presence so yeah that's what I can't wait to get back to I'm looking forward to it too (laughs) (laughs) so what is something that you are deeply grateful for right now in our industry yeah, so I suppose it's coming back to this point of of just being aware of the of this. Oh, sorry, just being grateful really for this growing awareness of the benefits of accessibility and the kind of the the, the change in in attitude and um, you know just this idea that the industry is beginning to take it on board. For a long time, it's it's felt a lot of people that are, that, were, that were speaking at the conference I was at were saying, you know, we've kind of felt like you know, outsiders, you know, if you do a, um, maybe a session on accessibility, you expect to have sort of five people there, you know, that's that's how yeah. it's felt for a long time. But, it, it, you know, what I'm so grateful for is this this change in attitude. And I do see it, as I say, from people at grassroots level, but I'm also beginning to see it changing at, at leadership level, which for me is just absolutely wonderful because I can just feel that there there is, you know, there's change happening, change is coming. Yeah, some of the benefits of all of us going through what we have in the last couple of years, a lot yeah. of things like this, right? Definitely. Yeah. More, oh, yeah. thank you. Susie, we cannot thank you enough for joining us for this week's episode. I think you have done an incredible job of making what so often feels like an overwhelming topic feel very approachable. And Really, I think you've empowered all of us to integrate digital accessibility into our learning design and development. So thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. And of course, a big thank you to my co-hosts as well. It's been a pleasure. Susie, this was so interesting, incredible content and really relevant. Thank you for your time. Very welcome. And many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you ever wonder how other talent development professionals are navigating our world? Or better yet, maybe you have a story to share. Then check out our Day in the Life of a TD Professional. If you're interested in being featured on our website, submit your story at dcatd.org. Follow the Metro DC chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today.